we don't need to make a billion dollars. We don't need to make a hundred million dollars on a movie. We just need for that to be a great experience for the people that are in the DAO and for it to make a dent in the culture outside of the DAO in terms of the things that we're talking about and the kinds of filmmakers who use this to create their visions and to build a strong and shared fan base. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the Metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Kenny Miller. Kenny is a creative and entrepreneurial leader who focuses on developing media brands that play in emerging digital spaces. His background has been with brands like Apple, Disney, Nickelodeon, Noggin, MTV, The Walking Dead, Netflix, and the New York Knicks. He's covered every aspect of the business, production, marketing, distribution, and very interestingly, revenue. From the launch of QuickTime to video games, social networks, user-generated content, streaming media, dynamic ad models, and now NFTs, Kenny's focus has always been on engaging audiences with emerging technologies and platforms. We talk about his latest venture studio DAO and their journey as they launch the MVP, bring on season one filmmakers, and build their community. We unpack our community finance and consumption rights. We're going to change the way movies are getting greenlit. And they've thought about every aspect of structuring a DAO, from what you think your members should do, down to the legal structures to make that work. And most importantly, we debate what the best movie-eating snack is. Enjoy. Kenny, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate um, your time, and I'm looking forward to our chat. Me too. This is great. This is the first time that we're really talking in public about uh, what we're doing at Studio DAO, so we're, we're excited to share it. Awesome. Um, so, so let's just jump into it. In the in the pre-call, you you mentioned that you'd been working in the kind of film and entertainment industry for a long time. In fact, you know uh, the thing I wrote down and circled here is that you were producing CD-ROMs, which you know I I, I find quite entertaining because we we're coming all the way into Web three, but we're going to start the interview at kind of CD-ROMs. Can you just talk just a little bit about your history because I think it's your kind of career arc is really interesting because I think what you've pulled into sort of Web3, uh, I think, mimics some of the, the learnings of what you've achieved over your, your career. Uh, 100%. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I undergrad, like uh, as, a, as a high school student, as a college student, I was sort of deeply interested in computers. Like at that point, that was really like, the dawn of Macintoshes and things like that. So it was very early in terms of what you could get done. Um, so I, I 
got an engineering degree, and then, but I was really interested in how technology and entertainment and creativity were coming together. And I wanted to really work at that point. It was like, I really wanted to work at MTV very badly. Like that was my fantasy. So I figured out how to get some work in front of the early creators at Viacom at MTV and Nickelodeon. And, um, they hired me. So I ended up being the first digital employee at Viacom helping MTV figure out how to enter the world of interactivity. This was, this was like pre-internet. So mm. yeah. So, so all kinds of, um, interesting early applications that we were exploring. And because those, those brands were youth brands and were very interested in empowering their audience, it was very natural for us to build things that, um, weren't just, here's something we're making. Do you want to watch it, play it, do whatever? Mm. They were things that invited participation. And so really from the very beginning of my career, I was always fascinated with how do we co-create and how do we empower audiences to be a part of the things that they love and care about. And that's obviously, I'm not claiming to have invented that, but the trend of those kinds of activities and those kinds of participations has been a long build. And now we're at the place where, you know, the fans are in charge. Like it's not like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the power structure has totally flipped. And I think that's yes. kind of the beautiful thing about web three for me is we're, we're starting, everyone starts at the same start point. Like we're all, we're all at it at that point of inception. And so that's one of the, one of the philosophies that we've been trying to dig into at Studio Dow. I mean, I think it's interesting listening to you talk. I think you could apply that same, the same thinking to everything you're doing now. I mean, it is, it's kind of like entertainment and participation, all of, and digital all sort of colliding at the same time. Yes, it, it's it, absolutely. It's, um, the the way in which activity itself is pleasurable, right? When I when I was in graduate school, one of our one of our friends was like he, he would he would pose this question to people when they would come in, and they're like, "What is the biggest interactive system in the world?" And this is like pre-internet, and he thought it was uh, people doing the wave at a football stadium. Like you have eighty thousand people doing this coordinated thing. And we were like, okay, like that's like, why is that pleasurable? Why do people like to do that? And so those kinds of big collective actions are things we, we like to do them. You know, it's like, I think there's no difference between that and the behavior of starlings or, you know, the, the GameStop, you know, like just, just went on around like Robin Hood and crypto and all that stuff. It's like people like to do things together. And when there's a tangible output of that collective action, that can be a loop that people love to get into. And that's when I've been in this a little more than a year. And when at sort of the beginning of like nouns and shark Dow and the action around juice box, um, it's the same kind of collective action. Like it's, it's great to do things together. And when you can do it and there's some marker of achievement, that, then that can actually become a community. And mm. that's, you know, I think a part of what 
we want to get at and how do we how do we get that kind of feeling of collective action and tangibility in the output of that collective action while still getting people who are experts and great at a specific thing to be able to participate, right? Because I think together we can all fund a movie and there's a lot of things that we can do around it, but it still takes a creative person at the center of it to say, this is what it is. This is what it is. And someone, someone needs to steer the ship. And that's, and so finding that balance is I think the the innovation that we're looking for. I love that. I mean, you know, I, I guess when we had our first call, I've been talking to quite a few people in, you know, I think there's a term that's been coined film three and this idea of collective creation comes up quite a lot. And I think when we spoke, it was interesting for me to hear about Studio Dow. And I'm going to ask you kind of the, the sort of elevator pitch on it now, but I, I find it interesting that you still maintain the core of what makes a good movie, which is a, a professional, you know, a professional creative doing a task that they have been honing over potentially many years that they're very, very good at. It could be writing, it could be editing, it could be directing, whatever that is, but still getting many people to participate in that. So it's not about co-directing or co-editing. It's about co-facilitating this. So I think with that, could you give us the the studio DAO kind of, you know, elevator pitch on on what it is that you're achieving uh, or trying to achieve with your, your project? So it's a film studio that's owned by the filmmakers and the fans. Uh, but what we do, and we're actually defining DAO a little differently than I think a lot of the DAOs that have shown up so far. Right now, a DAO is a bunch of people who have a particular vision for some kind of collection, some kind of collective action that they're trying to take, but then they need to figure out everything. How do they run it? How do they govern it? How do they fund it? How does all of that work? We think that there's a different definition for a DAO that is uh, a larger number of people taking a smaller defined action. And so what people do when they're a part of Studio DAO is very simple. We greenlight movies, and we watch movies. We think that's like the essential piece of it. So we're stripping away a lot of the other difficult tasks that you might need to engage to build the DAO and setting that up at the beginning. So when you join, uh, you will have implicitly already funded one movie, and then there will be additional movies that are brought to the DAO for Greenlight by the DAO. And it's as simple as that. Which movie should we make? And then, then there will be some other fun activities around it, which uh, are like, we're going to do some of the stuff that you normally do when you launch projects to the public, but we're going to do it for our internal audience first. So mm. there will be, you know, this is, it, it sounds silly, but it's super fun. We're going to be making custom ice cream flavors for every single movie that we develop. And the process of figuring out those flavors voting on them and then getting access to them. So we're doing this with Morgan Stern's ice cream in New York, who's like also very going deep down this rabbit hole with us and like those kinds of things. So we think there's big decisions as a member of the DAO, which films should be a part of it. And then there's smaller, more fun decisions because our, our like, I, like I said at the beginning, collective action is the thing that we're trying to pull together. So, and, and we're doing that 
partially because it's a way for the audience to express itself in terms of what kinds of films do we want to see made. But we also think it's fun just to have those collective actions around what should the ice cream flavor be for this particular movie and how do we go and create that collection over time. So, mm. uh, so it really becomes something that has a lot of different touch points into the culture, uh, but that all roll up into this one idea of together we're going to find movies that um, either aren't getting made or have had difficulty getting made because of the content, because of the topics, and bring that out to a global audience for for a different format of green light. Like a, a one really strong example of that that's, I don't know if you've seen the movie Get Out, uh, right? That's the Jordan Peele film. Um, yes. Incredible movie, like incredible, incredible movie, uh, but not ex- very difficult to get greenlit because the topic, it, the international sort of film community that would actually need to say, I want to distribute this film in these countries, it, it's too American. It's too, like, it's too specific. And so we think that that content, actually people around the world will love it but there's something in the current distribution mechanisms for how film gets greenlit that filters out certain kinds of ideas. So we think that, you know, by connecting, creating a method for collective action that is, doesn't have national borders is really just a reflection of the global appeal of those ideas is going to basically let us make something that will be a really unique kind of film library over time. I mean, I think it's brilliant on so many levels. You know, the one thing I love is that you've you've stripped out the responsibility. You know, so so like you said, when you join a DAO, there's often a lot of weight that goes with it, and you know, we'll talk about nouns in a second. But when you go look through the nouns, there are so many nouns that just don't participate because I think the sheer volume and pressure of participation is huge, and that in a way. You know, I think some people love it, but other people just sort of pull out because they're like, it feels like too much, you know, and in this, you've, you've pulled it down to an enjoyable piece where you get to read a script or a script or two or three or listen to a filmmaker pitch you, and then you get to choose, you know, like I want to invest in this or not. And you get to have that almost kind of Jerry Bruckheimer moment, but without then having to do any of the heavy lifting around actually making the whole production happen, which, you know, is, is what people do for a living and, you know, what takes hundreds of people to bring a piece of cinema to the screen. Exactly. And I think that that's why, like, we're trying to boil it down to this very, it should be fun. Like, I I think this is, we're, we're not, this is an entertainment experience. The whole thing is. And so we need to do that work to prep it so someone can come in and have 15 minutes of fun or enjoyment, making Mm. their choice for the week, for the month, however often they want to participate. And then, and then they're in the mix on that particular project. So, um, I mean, we know people love to go behind the scenes people, you know, when you work at a big entertainment company, one of the greatest perks is bringing your friends and family like onto the lot, onto the seat. Like people love to see that stuff and being able to open up that process to people who really are 
ready to contribute at, at like at that light level. You know, you want to you want to hear from the filmmaker. You want to know what's going on. We think there's there's that really vibrant audience, and that's who we want to speak to, right? Like that's our vision is that we're going to create a million person green light committee at the heart of Studio Dow, mm. and getting to those million people. That's going to be the most dangerous audience in the world because they're going to be able to greenlight their own content. They're going to have rights in certain other pieces of content, uh, and just nothing like that has ever been created. And I think that's cool. it, right. Like just in my career, uh, it's always been like, oh, okay, we've got this technology. Like, what does that imply at the next step? Like, what are we heading towards? And it could be, it, you know, in the past when I was at Nickelodeon. We made things that let kids make their own user-generated content, their own animations, their own video mixes, things like that. And those people love that. Like just like mm. the, the ability to sort of co-create with professionals is a great thing. And I think this is the, the ultimate expression of that because now we have a way for people to actually support and become uh, connected to those projects in a, in a, with a, with a stronger bond, right? That's it. Well, I think this is the, this is the clever thing the, the using the web three technology unlocks the ability for people to have ownership. And when I own it, it's now not your movie. It's my movie. Like, even though I've only put my $5 or my $10 or my $15 in, it's my movie. So I've got social capital that I can now trade of you know i've got conversations i can have talking about the movie and how i funded it and how i chose it and i didn't choose this one over that you know it unlocks that which is quite cool but i think it also in a weird way you've built in market research so when the when the filmmakers are making the film they already have a very strong signal that there is at least an audience you know, so it's not just their creativity in their head that they believe is good. They've now got a little bit of external validation, which shows that there's enough people who believe in this thing to greenlight it, which means that there's a, a more a viable enough audience for it to, to be in the world. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely one of the big innovations around this is is to create that win-win. Like it, everyone says that they're creating win-wins and, you know, and it's not always true. I think <laughs> this really, this really is a situation where um, you're de-risking the budget for the production. You're increasing awareness of the project and you're getting a valuable signal in terms of what people are responding to. Mm. So, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, anyone like, Having, let's let's say that we got to the place where a million people all agreed to put this, you know, five dollars into a movie, which is like the fantasy. That's a million producers. That's a million marketers. Like that's mm. like that is it is a new kind of social network, I think, and that um, that experience of creating a token what's, what's like i, I want to say like denominated but that's not the right word it's like mm. a token a token defined network yes i think our our hope for web3 is that token defined networks are going to have stronger bonds uh, and at a minimum they're different 
bonds than mm. what we experience now in different kinds of social networks. So that's, I think, the the broader implications for the design patterns that we're creating is that broader token-defined social networks will have different dynamics than what we see in Facebook, Twitter, whatever, whatever we take as social networks right now. And by exploring that, we tilt the power back to the audience and, and find new expressions for even that kind of collective action. So I think this is some new hybrid thing for form of collaboration that, you know, that we're seeing the people who are the most excited about web three are the people who've experienced those moments of seeing those communities spark to life and actually work together. And some of them come together really fast and burn out fast. Others are like slow burns, like nouns, you know, and then there's, and then there's every manner of thing in between. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of taking uh, my experience in relationships in the entertainment industry and bringing that into a very, uh, sort of like very, very intentional definition of what our token network looks like so that we can, so that network can operate, but that it can have a purpose that it lives for, which is fund these movies, watch these movies and, you know, distribute the movies. And we think there's a fourth one, which is um, having a very vibrant debate about the kind of candy that you should eat during the movies. We think that's also very, very important. Um, <laughs> it's probably the so, most important part. Of the whole, it's the whole it's thing. super important. There's <laughs> right. Cause you know, there's milk dud people, yeah. there's snow cap people, there's like Mike and Ike people, like people feel strongly about their movie candy. And I, and I, yeah, okay. I mean, but it's obviously like they're room. all wrong because it's popcorn with uh, salt and vinegar seasoning on it is the thing ah. you should be eating when you're watching your film. That's definitely the right answer. Uh, yes. Oh, we're, <laughs> I mean, may, maybe this is an American thing. Like we take the popcorn and then we put the candy on the popcorn, right? So it's oh, really, really, it's like the, the, pop, the popcorn is a given. That, so this is an experience I have not had. So, so if anything, this is the one thing I'm coming out of our conversation today is put candy yes. on top of popcorn. Yes, this is, you know, if there's anything that people are learning from listening to this, they should understand that their options <laughs> are myriad for, for dressing that popcorn up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love, I love, you know, I think on the high end, of this, you're saying there's a million people who choose to back a project. You know, there's, I think the biggest movie, apart from the kind of Marvel movies that, that I've seen sort of promoted recently is the Avatar movie, you know, and they are pushing that thing so hard. Like they are trying to get a million people to talk about it and they are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on every available platform, pushing that thing at you. And this sort of, it comes from day one that's sort of baked into the process i think the other thing that's interesting is that it also doesn't have to be a million people like what is the viable audience for a film if i'm like i want to make a film about 
you know, cake makers in Johannesburg who also like to listen to, you know, kind of traditional Italian music while doing it. Like, is there an audience of 5,000 people that want to see this movie? And is that enough backing for me to actually pull the project off? I think is also another one because it's a different signal. I think, you know, in the funding of our movies and our content now, the the risk profile is so big that I think people only bet on the the sure bets, and I think that's what's filtered a lot of the taste that we're seeing, and and therefore a lot of the kind of content that we are seeing. I mean, I'm not sure if a movie like Coffee and Cigarettes would get made today, you know, and yet I still think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of cinema ever created. It's a, it it is definitely um, right. Those the blockbusters are going to get made. The feature films are going to get made. The distribution's there. It needs it. Um, but you're exactly right. The the lower budget films, the indies, and, and importantly, the talent that cuts its teeth on those films and then mm. goes up. Like the directors of those features and those blockbusters, if you go back and look at like where they started, you know, Indies. it starts with like a $500,000 film or a million dollar mm. film. And uh, yeah, so so we think that there's like, there's a need in the ecosystem for it um, and that there is a big blind spot for those kinds of movies. It's like Coda, right? Coda won, won the Oscar, like incredible stuff. And that was just like, an, it's adult focused. It, 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 but you're right. It just comes down to, What's the calculus around the marketing, the cash flow that the studios need, the IP that they've already invested in, right? Because it's like once you're, I mean, someone, I'm sure someone smarter than me knows this number, but let's just say in total production marketing for Marvel, what are they like? $15 $15 billion down that road. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's hard to justify. You get into the, the math of, okay, if I could spend another hundred million dollars, is it better for Disney to spend that doubling down on Marvel or starting something new? And you can't only do Marvel, right? You need yes. to do some other things, but everything is in competition with like how that works but you know there's things change and i and i think that there's like people people chase the dream of well if we did x y and z then we will create a franchise of a marvel stature or whatever but Mm. i would just point them at warner and dc and say look people with a really good head start and a lot of talent and a lot of money even they're having a hard time chasing it so Mm. Like I think the the race play a and, different and game. You have to play a totally different game, and <laughs> like just entering, you know. And I and I have a lot of respect for you know different friends and people that I've met while we've been setting this up that are taking a little more traditional approach in terms of we'll do an NFT drop, it's superhero. We'll do a comic book, and then we'll be in the MCU world, right? Like then we have it. It's like in fifty years. Like it's not, there's no amount of NFTs that you can sell that are going to actually put you in competition with those things. And I think like the, at least the people that I've been engaging with, part of what drives the, the, I think the psychology of 
the current Web3, like, and, and let, let's be clear, like what we're doing today is doing proof of <laughs> concepts. Like what, yes. are we, what is Studio DAO? What is Studio DAO today? Today we are, we have our first few projects. We are selling NFTs to fund those projects and to produce them. And we are standing up our community. Right. And so like, that's, that's, that's where we are with it right now. So I also don't want to like over claim success before we even <laughs> started. Cause it, cause it's going to be hard. It's, it's yes. hard in every direction, but yes. what we're doing is just establishing the legal frameworks for this. How do we go to market? How do we go to market? Who is the audience who's interested in doing this? And then start to scale into something that is a simpler proposition because there's no plug and play web three governance. Yes. Like you're well, going to well, need MetaMask. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is an interesting segue into the next sort of section that I want to talk, which is, you know, I think at the heart of this is this idea of collective and, and the method that you've chosen to do that is, is DAO, but you've done it in a slightly interesting way or a slightly different way to what I've seen. And I, you know, I think your, your history is you were a participant and early participants with the nouns, you know, and you saw how they kind of did it. And then you played with the sharks DAO, you know, shark DAO, and you've seen a lot of kind of actions on Juicebox, the platform. Can you talk a little bit about how you are setting up your kind of DAO you know, and the structures of it, because I think that's also quite interesting in terms of how your governance and your finance and all that stuff unlocks the ability to create the things that you're trying to do. Totally. Um, this was a lot in there. So let me see, like the, yes, I, like I entered, I entered the space. One of the first projects that I got involved with is I was a tester on for nouns on Rinkby and just kind of seeing that launch, there were a number of things that were interesting about it. First of all, just how purely web three it is, right? Like that is a, a truly autonomous protocol. The, the promise is in it. It's like one noun a day forever. Yes. Okay. Like to even unpack that for people to understand that is like, okay, it's perpetual. How can you really promise forever? And if you don't understand how smart contracts work and you don't really understand the way blockchain is, and I'm not saying like in a, in a technical way where you could do it yourself, but just like the fundamental concept of contracts that are on chain and that execute on chain, that there is no server. It's in motion. Like there's, it's in motion it's, and there's nothing stopping it. There's the, it's, you can't, you know, I mean, you can, there's ways to build in switches to turn it off, but like, you don't have to turn it off. Like these, the idea <laughs> of perpetual technology is certainly a mind blower when, when you really understand what that means. And so, so nouns was just kind of pulling all these tricks at the same time, especially the idea of, um, a regenerative protocol. People pay in, like the, the tokens, you, you never get a share of the treasury for your token. And that kind of changes your relationship to that token. It's like, it's mm. not a piece of equity. I don't own a piece of this treasury. What I have is mandate over what we do collectively with that treasury. And um, I mean, it's funny. It's like nouns kind of has like the other, like they kind of don't know what to do with all the money. 
Like, there's like, like there's a, there's a problem. I mean, people have lots of ideas, but certainly there's a push to get at, you know, when you're collecting on average, like a hundred ETH a day, are you writing a hundred ETH for the proposals that you're funding every day? No, it's not, it's not that fast. So, um, so Nouns has been fascinating and definitely inspired us in terms of the regenerative aspect of Studio Dow, in terms of collectively owning rights in movies and having those rights come back to a wallet that is dedicated to making more movies. Like that's like that's the thing where I actually think we're taking the next step beyond Nouns Dow, which is there's a there's actually a revenue stream associated with the work that's going on. And that's, that I think actually takes it to the next step and makes it something that just participating in that regenerative loop is, is appealing once you understand how that works. Now we have work to do to set that up, to prove that actually can be regenerative. Uh, but when I share the plan with people that I've talked to over the course of the last year and like recently as we've sort of honed in on exactly how we're doing it, uh, watching the quarter drop for them. And they're like, okay, that's smart. Like that actually is connecting this loop of collective action and like web three autonomy with real world value in a way that then can basically come back and feed the web three side of the, of the system that's a, that's a big deal. And we're, we're kind of the first ones to do that. So, but in order to do that, we wanted to make sure that, uh, we're not, that we're doing it in a way that has a couple of parameters that are important. First of all, it needs to be compliant. Like we don't want to do something that's living on borrowed time because yes. we know that it really is. the kosher. FCC like, writes one law and it's done. It, it's yes, exactly. You, like if you, if you, if you color too far outside of the lines, either a, it's not going to work or if it works, then it's not going to work later. So both of those are bad outcomes. So what we've done is we've set up what's called an UNA, which is unincorporated nonprofit association. And that allows us to essentially house the Dow in something that is a U.S. compliant organization and, and build this up in a way where both it's legal, you can do it in the United States, there's none of this like setting up something in, in another country in order to kind of avoid some regulation. Uh, and, but then importantly, it also lets anyone buy in and join without having to go through a KYC or AML. Uh, loop on that. And that's really what we were looking for is a way to have it be open and available to anyone who wants to participate, but to live within a structure that can be stood up and that yeah. can evolve and grow and that can be a legal entity that it can be a partner to the perpetual aspects of the smart contracts on which the DAO and the rest of Studio DAO runs. I mean, I, I like that. And then, you know, so that UNA houses the the members and the the kind of the participation capital, and then it distributes by the green lighting to uh, an LLC that then actually produces the films and, and makes the, the kind of cultural artifacts, as it were. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, in every film, 
every film is always its own LLC, right? Like even if you're in a big studio, people set up structures so that they can keep all the accounting clear. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, finding the way for the nonprofit membership to be able to support, like, it's okay for the filmmakers to be for profit. The filmmaker mm. can make money on the project. It's not okay. It's encouraged. It's actively, it's, it's, actively it's, encouraged. It's, 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 it's good, right? Like yeah. it's, it, if, if people do good work and, and it is enjoyed by a lot of other people, we want those people to make more things, right? It should mm. be a positive loop for them. And part of our economics also is by being artist owned, by having the studio functions be run from within a nonprofit organization that then leaves a lot more money on the table for filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully we see this as a way to have more revenue sharing around the content back into more of the people who are participating and, and making it like you don't need to there. Films could become more like startups within mm. this structure and having equity in those startups. Could I mean, be I would assume for the actors. Yeah. I would assume one of the, like a bigger studio probably has quite a high management overhead that it costs quite a lot to keep that infrastructure and all of those people sort of employed. So I would assume that a lot of the budget of these movies goes to kind of deploying that. And I guess part of this is you're sitting on a transparent, open, public record, you know, and, and that comes with a certain level of accountability to the people who are, are giving you money. So you're going to have to, in a way, push those kind of op, cops, op costs down because I think people are going to want to see more of it going into film and VFX and actors and locations and, and editing and the things that make films great. Did Totally. Totally. If you, if you add up all the revenue that goes into Netflix versus what they actually spend on content, there's a bunch of money that doesn't end up on the screen. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah, we, we think there is, there is definitely a world of capital efficiency that can be created with this protocol that, that will reset what the value prop is for, for creators, for fans and you know, we, we all, we've all seen those numbers, right? Things like how many people were working at Instagram when they had a billion people yes. there, like at, it was, it was WhatsApp, right? WhatsApp was like 20 people or 40 people. And they had mm. like a billion users, like that's leverage. And I think that there's, you can see this going, I mean, ours is a little more high touch because of what you're doing, but if you look at the number of people that work at any of the major studios, we're talking about like 20,000 people, 30,000 people. Like I think, you know, I think Netflix might be 11 or 12,000 people. And it's a big organization, 30, like 30,000 people, 30,000 mm. people. And how many pieces of content do those companies actually make each year? A thousand. Mm. Like I, I'm just saying like there's, and that's the overhead and that doesn't include all the people at the production cup. Like that's, I'm sure that that is not the true human true effort number. that it requires to do it. And so, yeah, we, we think that there's, and I mean, I think that the major studios would actually agree that 
there's too many people in those companies. Because if you look at the number of people that they're firing every year, it's large. Like yes. there's like, so that they know, they know <laughs> that they can't be as big as they are and they're trying to get smaller. But yes. I'm betting that the number is closer to zero than 30,000 and that we can, we can find the number from the bottom faster yes. than they can find the number from the top in terms of trying to like peel away whatever they don't need to become some more optimized version of it. We're just focused like that. That's why I love just like the clarity of our mission. Green light movies, watch movies, argue about candy. Like that's, <laughs> is, that's like, if it's not that, I don't know what you're doing. Yes. And let's just kind of get into a builder mentality around what a, what a studio could be in the future it in a fully token-enabled world. I mean, and it's, the, the anarchist yeah. in me, the anarchist in me, loves this on on many many different levels. So I want to I want to move on to the, the kind of the real goods. Like you've you've signed your first projects. You know, I understand there was a couple, and maybe you'd be able to talk about more than one. But can you talk about unlikely love stories? Can you talk about what it is and 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 you know, kind of how it came about so you know it's very exciting yes so um so unlikely love stories is an an animated anthology movie we are working on the first segment which is called tender vittles and so unlikely love stories is created by these two filmmakers uh rosa tran and Derek smith and they are um super experienced she has worked with Robot Chicken, all kinds of incredible things. She worked on the Oscar-nominated Anomalisa. Uh, so she, she's incredible. And they're, they're a couple. And her husband, Derek, is also a super accomplished VFX artist. Like, I mean, like tons of stuff, lots of great credits. And this is a project that they were pitching and people were like, uh, you know, they just weren't feeling it. But when I saw it, I was like, this is amazing because it's personal from them. Like this is, this is kind of tells the story of like, they, they have, they have a funny relationship. Uh, and this, all of these series are about, um, love gone wrong. So I'll just kind of give you like the short pitch on this one mm. is there's a mouse, there's a cookie, gingerbread cookie. They fall in love. They're going out for a walk. There's like a little drop of water gets on the gingerbread's button. The mouse touches it, and then she licks her paw and realizes that he's delicious. And it goes south from there. <laughs> so you know, they're, so what they're exploring is like, okay, love is beautiful, and love is great, and love isn't always kind. And let's get into those kinds of stories and tell them in a charming way, and in a way that's like got that devious piece to it that makes it fun to watch, but also is heartwarming. And, uh, and so we, we found Rosa through, uh, a relationship that we have with, uh, the Gotham group who is a major, uh, producer. They produce Percy Jackson and Maze Runner and a ton of other things. And they, uh, when we approached Matt Schlipman, who's, uh, our contact there and is now an advisor to studio Dow, about what we wanted to do. He was like, there's so many great projects that you're pitching it to this 
studio or this streamer. And for one reason or another, it's just not what they're looking for on that mm. day. Like, and, and there's, there's another whole podcast that you, you should probably do. And I'd be, help, be happy to help you with this, which is like shitty reasons that Netflix passed on my show, uh, <laughs> you know, cause we've heard them all, including yes. people saying like, I've got this great eighties show. And they're like, well, we really meant like 83 and 84, not 86 and 87. And it's like, <laughs> what? Like, what really? Like you could tell from the script that like I've misrepresented the section of the, like, so, so I just think that the days of studio execs passing and not having to admit that they don't know what's good or bad, but just like relying on the algorithm to tell them what's good or bad. It's like, we know what happens when you rely on algorithms. It's like, you you end up with like manipulated elections. Like mm. algorithms are the not necessarily denominator. It's totally. It's like just relying on the algorithm is just weak sauce from our perspective. I think our algorithm is going to be: Do people want to back this movie? Do you, the fans, want to back this movie? And that is going to be, I think, much more accurate than figuring out when people skipped out of their viewing queue on their S sponsor, you know, it's just, it's just much more organic. Mm. Uh, so yeah. So I think like I went a long way around on unlikely love stories there from like how, how we got to it, but that's super exciting. And we're now like in the phases of designing those NFTs, working with Juicebox to configure our first film that we're going to be taking out for funding in partnership with those guys. And then we're working on, we have two more that we're working on right now. One that I can talk about. Um, we're partnering with this production company called Good Trip Industries. They are the producers of the documentary that's on Netflix called Have a Good Trip. And they are, they are deeply, meaningfully dedicated to, uh, openness and education around psychedelics. Hmm. And so we are, we're working on a project that we can't announce the title of, but we're doing a very special NFT drop that will reflect the beauty of the project that they want to create and that will get revealed over the course of the NFT drop. And that really reflects, I think, the harmony between the psychedelic space and the web three space, because I think the, the perpetualness of it and the fractalness of it is there's, there's something that lines up. Like you often find people who have an appreciation for both of these things, because I think they have similar properties in terms of, uh, how they, how they work, what they mean, uh, the embracing of new realities saying like, you know, Reality is somewhat plastic and we can manipulate it into being what we want it to be by yes. engaging in these activities. And uh, so, so we're really excited about that project and we'll have more on that soon. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's like those kinds of things that are, uh, I think, a little outside of the mainstream right now uh, and projects that should be getting done but in the in the current economic environment, studios are like slowing down on the stuff that they want to make. But I think that's I think that's our opportunity to just get these things in front of 
people who care about the topics and the artists and the creators and want to see content created that is not put through the filter of the recruitment and retention funnels of Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Mm. HBO, Discovery. Like it's, it's just, they're, they're not filtering through the right thing. It's a, it's a corporate filter. It's not a cultural filter. Well, I think it's just a, it's their filter and it's, it's what they're creating. I think what I, what I'm hearing about your two projects that you're working on is you've already leaned into narratives that are probably unlikely to get made. And this almost feels like the sweet spot of, you know, what is going to come out of this experiment of yours, that, that content and narratives and perspectives and and things are going to come out. And, you know, they might not all be what everyone agrees with, but it doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be kind of out in the world and having their, their kind of moment. They could be the next big, big sort of um, movement. Um, Can I ask like one last question of you? I mean, you've, you've got these three projects, where do you see, and and it's quite a difficult thing, especially in the web three space, like where do you see studio DAO in like five years time? Like, what is that? Like play it forward and be successful. Like what is, what does that look like uh, in your, in your head? Right. So five years from now, uh, I think five years from now, I mean, I think, I think we will, I think we will be in the embryonic version of this a year from now. And then there, and then we grow over time. It's an app. You come in, like you buy in for $20 and then you are helping to guide what the collective is going to green light. So, you know, five years from now, I think that we're looking at like 200 movies in our library and, you know, some, some of them are amazing. Some of them are not like, it's got, like, you have to have some scale because, you know, every song isn't great. Every movie isn't great. Mm. Uh, and so we need to have enough, enough happening to find the great and to create that scale. And I think at that point, we're full up. There's a million members who have become a part of this. Some are renewing, some are letting it go, and new people are coming in. And so it's a very engaged million people. And the rest of our content is then also seen outside of our sort of private viewing as well, that it becomes essentially a brand that means the new and the experimental and kind of the the voice of the people in a way that sort of corporate content is just like, it's, it's not, we're not optimizing for money. We're optimizing mm. for content and we're optimizing for community. And that is going to lead us to a different set of decisions that I think will be, um, you know, we don't, we don't need to make a billion dollars. We don't need to make a hundred million dollars on a movie. We just need for that to be a great experience for the people that are in the DAO and for it to make a dent in the culture outside of the DAO in terms of the things that we're talking about and the kinds of filmmakers who use this to uh, create, create their visions and to build a strong and shared fan base, right? Cause that's, you're not, it's like, if you're, if you're a fan of one band, 
how many people are a fan of just one band? Mm. Not, not a lot, right? There's, there's like a, there's like a network effect beneath that. We think that we can do the same kind of thing for filmmakers in terms of, you know, those fans collect together and that could be a brand unto itself. Then that's, that's where we want to be. And at that point, I mean, I think another important aspect of that is part of the reason we're doing it on the blockchain, a, the globalness of it, the internationalness of it is really important because I think, you know, we're, it's a global society. We don't really have global media other than rare TikTok video. You know, it's like the, 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 <laughs> things, that, the things that are the most global are not necessarily yes. the most meaningful in terms of yeah. us communicating with ourselves. And things like that, yeah. Right. Which are, which are like, but I think it's like, those are examples of collective action. It's like, why do you watch that? Because everyone else watched it. You don't want to be the person that didn't know what that is. Um, so I, you know, I think hopefully at that point in time, uh, the community has decentralized itself and true. It is truly autonomous. I think, I think five years from now it's running itself. Mm. Like the, it's, it is truly an autonomous set of smart contracts that is funding content and has sort of gone through that progressive decentralization and that, that will then give it another, another sort of role in the society as, you know, like, like where we started, it's then perpetual. Like there's mm. no one, there's no one to turn it off. There's no one to tell it it's doing anything wrong. It is just running and it is that sort of collective voice. That's the, that's, I think the dream. If we can get a collective voice that can generate meaningful narratives that are an output of that voice. It's a, it's a new kind of thing. It's like, we've just never seen it. And I think that's incredibly motivating to the team right now to help start something that, that will be more true to our humanity. And like the, you know, when you see a great, great movie that really cuts through and is not tied up with, you know, toys in your happy meal or something like that. That's, that's real. And, and I think, I mean, you see little glimpses of these kinds of things today in certain productions. And I think that there's formats that will arise and things that will breathe life into these ideas. Um, yeah. You know, like, like, I'm sure this is, this is, I'm dating myself here. It's like, I've seen, you've seen run, you've seen run Lola run, right? Yes. Like amazing. Like, yeah. you know, incredible. It's like a, a mark lot of, people of never time. Seen. It's like a cultural mark of time that you've seen right. it and you've participated in it. That, you know, all the, all those kinds of things. And I think that in our global culture, there's room for these things to have more, connectivity between themselves in terms of like important cultural aspects. And, you know, we, we've had that conversation. It's like, whether it's Wings of Desire or Kiana Scotsy or just like so, so many movies that are very, that are stylistically different, like that are just really have like that touch. And that's, that's what we want is, you know, filmmakers who want to do something different and can demonstrate 
why this is going to be something that people are going to be. Back. It's going to whack them on the head and be like, okay, I'm thinking about the world a little differently now. Mm. And, it, and it doesn't all need to be serious, right? Napoleon Dynamite did that. Like it's a, it, it can be, it can be fun. It can be, yes. it can be silly. It can be everything that makes humans interesting to interact with, but reflected in a, in a more human and kind of less commercially motivated way. I mean, Kenny, this is it's such a cool project. Um, I'm sad we out of time. I, I could keep talking to you for another hour. Um, I, I wish you and the full team at Studio Dao all the success and I look forward to watching unlikely stories uh, when I get an opportunity to buy in um, so thank you very much for almost pioneering a new way of thinking about how we can create things so, so thank you so much and I enjoyed our conversation thank you Ross it's, uh, it's great to chat about it and we'll continue it this is the beginning yep. of something big thanks And we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We believe sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or need some inspiration for their brand, please share this with them. This is our fourth season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released. Even better, leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening. One More Question is brought to you by the people of Nice Work. We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us, or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.